0: when uh, Jules Nadev, uh headed out that fateful morning around 8.30, continue filming this documentary he'd been working on for the past few months, following the life of a probationary firefighter, a guy named Tony Benetaros. He was a newly assigned firefighter to Engine 7 Battalion 1 in lower Manhattan. He, he had no idea what that day was about to hold for him. One minute, he, he's recording... Uh, The crew, as they investigated a suspected gas leak, the next, he was recording one of only three known recordings of the first plane flying into Tower One of the World Trade Center. And as he followed the the events of that day and recorded this this horrific scene, and afterwards he was able to interview some of the firefighters, because he's doing this documentary, some of the surviving firefighters, one of the most... Chilling accounts of the many was one firefighter describing the the many calls of men and women saying, Turn back! Why would you go up there? Please don't go up there. Because you see, these men and women were fleeing down the stairwells of the World Trade Center at the same time these firefighters were going up. And it's a long-standing debate still as to people try to decide whether it's bravery or insanity that allows uh, these first responders who work in these emergency services, fire, police, ambulance, that uh, enables them to move towards situations that everybody else is running away from. I think it's telling that when they describe their jobs, they don't, they don't even use those terms. They just describe it as it's just an understood part of the job. And yet, There's no question that what they're doing, this action, of running in somewhere, running towards danger, it's counterintuitive. It goes against everything that, that's ingrained and inborn in us to want to preserve ourselves, to want to protect ourselves from danger. It totally goes against that because here they are running into situations where they've just, people are trying to escape from. Well, as we continue in this series this morning through the book of Acts, we've called Pioneer Church. I think in this passage today we're going to see a similarly counterintuitive action from Peter and John and the other apostles as counterintuitive as running up the stairs of the world trade center while everyone else is running down. Because again as we saw last week Peter and John they have just narrowly escaped narrowly escaped uh, prosecution, uh, imprisonment, beatings whatever it is from the religious leaders. They were brought to trial again for preaching and teaching in Jesus name. But although they are warned and threatened and threatened to no longer speak or teach or do anything in jesus name and, and they've just skinned their teeth escaped rather than just laying low, just backing off for a little while, vacation in Mexico for a few months, something no they meet together with the other apostles to pray and out of that prayer meeting, not only are they ignoring the restrictions and the sanctions of the religious rulers not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, they're asking God for even greater boldness in doing it. Basically, they're running full speed right back into the danger that they just escaped from. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's not the first reaction that I would have if, if I was being persecuted for my witness. If I was told I was going to be heavily fined, imprisoned, or worse, Or being a witness to Jesus, I mean, that's not how I would initially respond. I mean, if we were praying at all, wouldn't you be praying, Hey, God, protect me. Protect me from these people trying to persecute me. Uh, Get me out of this situation, God. Would you really be praying, Hey, God, help me be even more bold at this thing that's putting me in harm's way? I mean, that'd be like accidentally knocking over a Hell's Angels motorbike and not getting beat up. And then praying, Hey, God, help me tomorrow to be able to knock over a whole row of bikes. It doesn't even make sense. And yet, you remember, if you were with us last week, what Peter and John said near the end of this trial before the Sanhedrin. They're commanded no longer to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? They said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We have to. Which means that for Peter and John, being witnesses for Jesus or not, that wasn't even a question for them. It wasn't even a question they were asking. They'd just been so captivated, so inspired with their experience of Jesus, they couldn't help but speaking about Him. So clearly, there's something going on in this prayer meeting that we see in our passage today. Something happened here. Something about their... Their prayer together after this trial that enabled the apostles to seek to be even more bold in giving this witness, even though they were still facing this tremendous danger and pressure. And if we're going to have today anything like this level of boldness that they had in their witness, and listen, by the way, by boldness, I don't mean arrogance, I don't mean badgering people or pounding them with the Bible. That's not what I mean. Boldness, I'm talking about a humble, confidence in in being willing to be a witness for Jesus even when it's unpopular, even when it's potentially dangerous to do so. That's what I mean. If we're going to have boldness like that in our witness for Jesus, I think it's worth looking more deeply at this prayer today, seeing if we can learn anything about how it is we can grow in our boldness in the witness that we try to give today as well. In order to do that, I want to just look at this brief passage this morning in just two ways. I want to I want us to, sh- to look at uh, the foundation of their prayer and then the focus of their prayer. Just those two things, the foundation and then the focus of their prayer. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them again to Acts 4, starting at verse 23? I want you to follow along with me together and we'll, we'll look at the apostles' prayer for boldness in witness. Okay, so let's look first of all at the foundation of their prayer the foundation of their prayer. Again, verse 23, look there. It tells us, upon their release, Peter and John return to the other apostles. They tell them about everything that just happened to them. They, they didn't know. All of a sudden, their friends get taken away by the temple guard two days ago, and all of a sudden, here they come back. They're, they're telling them about what happened, including, it would seem, about these parting threats of the religious leaders that they'd repeated not to speak or teach or do anything anymore in Jesus' name. Now look at verse 24 their very first response to everything that they've just heard is to pray. Very first thing they do is to pray. and can we just stop right there and say, that in itself is so instructive to us, isn't it? They stop and the very first action they do is pray. Because think about your own life. How often is it you're faced with some difficulty, some crisis, some danger, and your very first response is either to switch into some kind of a MacGyver, Bear Grylls kind of problem-solving mode, or you just go right over here into panic, full-on, like, what are we going to do? The sky is falling. Uh, we're totally lost here. We go into one of those two extremes. A lot of times, for us, prayer is the very last thing we turn to. When every other means of, of escape or rescue has been exhausted, then we'll try praying. You know, we'll say to ourselves, literally, we'll say things like, well, we've tried everything else that we could to get out of this. I guess the only thing left to do now is pray. Like, really? That's, 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 that's not what we see these guys doing here. And I'll tell you, all through the Bible, that's, that's not the response to end with prayer. And that's a, it's, it's not a question of whether or not we're going to get this perfectly every time. We won't. I mean, and we're going to need the encouragement of each other around us along with our conviction to be able to do it. But can we just agree together today and make this at least our our hope that in every situation, whatever it is, we would follow the example and the pattern we just saw here. That prayer to going to God, whatever the situation would be, our very first response, the very first thing we think to do when we're faced with danger, not our last-ditch Break glass in case of emergency response, the very first thing we do. And I think as we look now at what the foundation is of the apostles' prayer, I think it's going to help you see even more how and why we should try to do this every time. If you look at the second half of verse 24, look there with me. We see, first of all, that the first foundation upon which the apostles grow in their witness, to grow in the boldness of their witness through prayer, is they see God as the creator that's the very first foundation of their prayer. They see God as the creator. Look, verse 24. They raised their voices together and they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Now, I've made no secret over the years of my time here, I struggle with Ikea furniture. <laughs> Love the price, hate the assembly stage. Not a good time for me. My family has now been trained. They know probably a good idea to go for a walk if dad's putting together something from IKEA just to protect everyone's ears. It's, it's, uh, when you're looking at that sea of boards and screws and those little wooden doweling pieces, it can be intimidating even to the best of us. But when you're sitting there in that situation, the, the most uh, helpful thing to do. Is what? Is to either look at those sometimes helpful, sometimes not so helpful instructions that they give you. Or to call the people. Call the help desk. We call the people. Why? Well, because they're the ones who made it. They've designed all these pieces of furniture. They know how each piece goes together. So it's the most efficient, helpful means to go to the ones who've created it all. To say, help me. Help me to figure out this problem I'm having. In the same way here. When faced with these threats and intimidation from the religious leaders, the very first place the apostles go to is remembering God. He's the creator. He's the one who made the earth and everything in it, including these religious leaders who are threatening them. He made them. Which also means that everything God created belongs to him, and it's also sitting safely underneath his sovereign power and rule and authority as the creator of it. And you see how already, even that just that simple step, just acknowledging the greatness, the, the bigness of God as compared to His creations, whatever they are, it just immediately frames the whole problem in a new light, doesn't it? It's totally different now. Those, those things, those people, wh- whatever it is that's, that's scaring us, that's intimidating us, whatever it is, all of a sudden it starts to look a lot smaller now. It's like David... In Psalm 8, verse 3, look at how he does this. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Now, yes, that that psalm is, first of all, David is just marveling that this amazing creator God of everything knows who he is. He cares about him. But think about it. Couldn't that also be such an encouragement Such a help to someone who's facing intimidation, who's facing persecution to consider this same great God who's created everything. God, you created the heavens and the earth. So what is man? What is this man who's standing against me right now? It's a total game changer. So so that's the first foundation upon which they grow through prayer. Remembering God as the creator of all things. Second, Second foundation we see in their prayer, which actually, the the first one grows out of it, is their knowledge of God's word. They just have this knowledge of God's word. If you look at verse 25 now, you see, first of all, they look at the whole Bible. They see this book. Now, they didn't have this New Testament yet, but they see the scriptures as God's word to them. They see it as reliable, as trustworthy. They say, these are your words spoken through the Holy Spirit. In this case through the mouth of King David. And then secondly, they quote one of David's psalms back to him. Look at the second half of verse 25 there. This uh, this quotation here, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? They're they're quoting from Psalm 2 here. That's where this is coming out of. They, They quote the psalm from memory, it seems like. They're just able to bring it to mind, and they quote it right in the middle of their prayer. And this psalm is basically talking about the foolishness Just the utter foolishness of trying to stand against God. All these nations, people, kings, thinking in their power they're going to come against God and His anointed one. So they're quoting this psalm back to God in their prayer. And then they immediately begin to apply it to their life circumstances that they're facing. You see? Look at verse 27 now. They say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. You see, they're comparing Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Israelites, all these people who were crying out for Jesus' death with the nations, these rulers, these kings who are foolishly raging against God and His anointed, which leads them to this amazing conclusion in verse 28 that says... Even though all these individuals and groups thought, they thought they were accomplishing what they wanted by crucifying Jesus, by putting Him to death, he sees, he says, no, 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 they were actually only accomplishing what God had already planned, what He had already willed and decreed should happen. That's surely a big reason why they start out their prayer, verse 24, calling Him sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign ruler over all these things. And they've come to understand now, through their knowledge of His Word, that even all these circumstances and, and difficulties that seem random, that seem senseless, that look like defeat, are actually, they're part of God's plan too. They're all part of God's greater plan to bring about His good and perfect will. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says later in Romans eight twenty eight. We know God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. You see how this foundation of prayer now could also take these threats these these worries they were experiencing that it seemed so big and intimidating and all of a sudden turn them into boldness in their witness because they see well no god's in control of this particularly when you put them together you put all these things together now you've got You're seeing God as the creator of all things. You're seeing God as sovereignly controlling all the events of our world, past, present, future. And all of a sudden, it gives you a great deal more boldness, confidence, a settled trust in God, particularly when you know He's the one I'm witnessing for. I have boldness in my witness when I know He, the the, the creator of everything, the one controlling all these events, He's the one I'm witnessing for should give us a, a total settled confidence, whatever it is we face, hey, God's got this. He's got this. I'm not, I may not see how He's going to work it out. I may not understand, but he's, he's got this. And maybe you read that, and we hear that, and, you'd, and maybe you'd agree, and you'd say, yeah, Oh, oh yeah, okay, that sounds right. Yeah, I guess I guess that that should give me a great deal of bold more boldness in my witness, but then almost immediately you want to add but but i I, sh- I don't have that boldness i don't feel that i don't feel that boldness in my witness almost never is that is that you this morning is that how you would feel sometimes or many times if that's you and listen one day to the next that's all of us, okay, myself included that's all of us if that's how you're Feeling. I just want you to consider this morning that maybe, just maybe one big reason for that lack of boldness in our witness, particularly as it relates to these foundational truths that we just looked at in the apostles' prayer, could be due to the fact that, first of all, your view of God is just too small still. He's still too small so that when you hold him up next to, compare him to this thing you're facing, he doesn't actually look that much bigger. Sometimes the circumstances of life can feel so big we forget how much bigger our God is. Second possibility of why we're not growing in the boldness of our witness could be that we actually hold on to that too small view of God because we don't know who He is that well. We don't know who He's revealed Himself to be in His Word all that well. We don't know our Bibles where God explicitly shows himself again and again uh, as big, as actually uncontainably big. And I found this in my own life time and time again. Every single time I've been feeling afraid, worried, anxious, intimidated, something, whatever it is, I can almost invariably trace it back to I've forgotten how big my God is in comparison to this thing I'm facing. And then it's, it's so amazing. It's, it's humbling at the same time. But I'll be feeling stressed. I'll be feeling anxious. What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And then I'll walk outside at night and I'll just look up at the vast heavens, the stars in the sky, and think of, my God, you created all this. I'll walk out on the beach and, and look out over the water and just think of the greatness of the oceans and everything in it. God, you made all that. Or I'll be reading in my Bible devotion time, reading through God's Word, I'll come to places like Psalm 2. I'll come to places like God parting the Red Sea in Exodus, or Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4, and all of a sudden, my shoulders just start to drop. I feel like my breath returns, and I just kind of say, okay, okay, you you are bigger than this. You really are bigger than this. Unless we are too down on ourselves, too uh, hard on ourselves this morning, Because we do have this kind of forgetfulness. you got to know this exact same forgetfulness, this exact same too small of a view of God. We see all through the Bible as well. And in the New Testament alone, do you know how many times people are sitting there with Jesus himself? He's right there. God in human flesh is with them, and they still feel scared, doubtful. Do you know how many times this this happens? I mean, just a couple quick examples. The woman at the well. Jesus himself is sitting there saying to you, I want to give you this water which will satisfy your thirst forever. I want to give you this living water. What does she say to him? Oh, well, that's a nice promise, but how are you going to do that? Well is too deep. You don't have anything to draw with even. How are you going to give me this water? The disciples sitting out in the boat as the wind and the waves crash over them and they feel like they're going to drown the one who made those waves and that wind is in the boat with them and yet they're terrified. Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? <laughs> or even uh, the man with the demon-possessed son. If you heard this story, the story that the disciples weren't able to cast the demon out of them, they bring him to Jesus. And what does the man say? Listen, if you can do anything to help my son, please help my son. Jesus is like, I'm sorry, what? If if I can, <laughs> excuse me? The view of God is so small. point is this. This forgetfulness is something we're all prone to do. We're all prone to forgetting how big our God is and compared to our problems. That's why I believe a disciplined, regular, habitual study of God's Word as well as a regular reflection upon the sovereign, created power of God. Just look around you. Regular reflection on those things that can help us to more regularly overcome that forgetfulness, which is going to do amazing things to help give us greater boldness in our witness. As you think of your own life, are those things a part of your life? Are those things, those foundations, are they part of your life right now in your prayer? They can make all the difference in the world when it comes to your boldness and witness. That's the foundation of their prayer upon which their prayer is built. Those two things, seeing God as the creator of all things, as well as a growing knowledge of who He is as He's revealed in His Word, those form the basis now, the, the foundation upon which the apostles now lift up their prayer. They focus their prayer to God. So let's look now at the focus of their prayer. Focus of their prayer. Now I see three requests here in this prayer from the apostles with regards to everything that they're facing. First of all, they ask God to consider the threats against them. Then they ask God to enable them to speak His word with great boldness. Finally, they ask God to continue to perform these miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. First of all, verse 29, the beginning there, you see, out of their now rekindled understanding of God's sovereign creative power over all things, they ask God, first of all, would you consider their threats Basically, these are the threats that the religious leaders were making against them. Now, they're not saying, hey, God, would you listen to those threats and just give them some thought? Just think about them for a while. Let us know if we should follow what they're asking us to do. No, that's not what's happening. The Greek word here in our passage for consider, epadon, means to look at something, to acknowledge something, and then respond accordingly with action. That's what the word means. It's an active consideration, do you see? So really, it's very telling, actually, that they would ask God to do this, particularly given that psalm, Psalm 2, that they just quoted. Because after David poses that question about why would these nations and kings and rulers come against the God of the universe, why would they even bother trying, they're all gathered together to try and bring God down, listen to what God's considered response is. This is how God considers these threats from those kings and rulers and responds. Listen. Verse 4 of Psalm 2. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. That's God's considered response. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Verse 5. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. So in a very real sense... What they're doing is they're asking God to consider these threats made against them in light of now their very big view of God. You know what they're doing? They're saying, God, can you just handle these guys? Can you just deal with these threats and all this stuff they're bringing against us? Just clear the way for us so that we can just do what it is you've asked us to do, to be witnesses. Because of their big view of God, they're they're trusting him to do that. So now, with, with security covered, now... Secondly, they come to God and they ask Him to enable them to continue to speak His Word boldly. Would you continue to enable us to speak your Word boldly? Now, we've talked about that word throughout our passage, boldness. Boldness, they're asking for in their witness. That's the Greek word, paresia which has the sense of someone being able to undertake activities that involve risk or danger. Another word we could use here might be courage. God, give us courage Now, in light of your greatness, to continue to be bold witnesses for you. And courage, as as has been said by many, it's not something about having the absence of fear. Courage is about being willing to move forward in spite of it. I loved what uh, C.S. Lewis had to say about courage. He wrote this, Courage is not simply one of the virtues. It is the form of every virtue at its testing point. Courage is the form of every virtue at its testing point so on one level what they're doing is they're asking God to continue to fill them with the spirit just like he did for Peter and John when they were standing and being tested before the Sanhedrin and they were able to speak so boldly they're saying would you keep doing that God keep filling us so we can have boldness in our witness but in another hand on the other side in a very real sense what they're doing is they're saying God help us help us now as we defy the religious rulers command They really are saying, help us right now as we try to break the law. Which does not mean, no, when you leave here after church today and you're trying to get to white spot before all the other church folk, you can speed and say, hey God, would you empower me to not receive consequences as I break the law? That's not what it means. What we are seeing here is that when laws, when edicts of the land, whatever it is, come into conflict with God's word, with God's revealed moral law, then we must... As Peter said in Acts 4.19, we must judge for ourselves whether it's right to obey God or man. We're going to have to make that decision and judge who we're going to follow. And and, and all through the Bible, from Daniel, told not to pray anymore to God for those days, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, told to bow before that golden statue, to to every one of those faithful martyrs in Hebrews 11, what we have all through the Bible is, 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 a, is a demonstration of civil disobedience that is both sanctioned and empowered by God in the face of unjust laws that go against His revealed will. And man, as we read on in the book of Acts, and things in some cases go from bad to worse for them, they have no idea in this moment just how much they're going to need that empowering in the days and months to come as they proclaim God's word. It's going to get pretty dark. And for us today as a church, for those who, who claim Jesus as our Lord and societal pressures on God's church continue to press in more and more on us from, from not just subtle, uh, hey, could you please not do that, to more strong, overt restrictions, you must not speak in that name anymore. We're going to be tested in a variety of different ways too. We're going to need that same Big picture of God in our lives as well. And we will be no less in need of that. Empowering to continue to be His witnesses in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the exclusive claims of Jesus and His Word. We just, we just saw that. If you've been following the news, we just saw that uh, last week in this trial with Russell Vaught and Bernie Sanders. Telling him he's being bigoted to say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We're going to need this empowering to continue to be witnesses for Jesus, whatever we face. Finally, verse 30, they ask God to continue to perform these signs and miracles through the name of Jesus. They say, God, would you just keep doing all this amazing stuff you've been doing? Keep doing it. Do you notice, though, how, how Jesus-centric their prayer is? You see that? they don't. At no time do they say, God, would you please just make us into these amazing miracle workers now? Make us into just Regular tongue speakers, regular healers, they don't do that. What they do is they say, God, would you, as we are faithful to witness for you, would you just continue doing this amazing stuff that authenticates our witness, that shows that we really are being witnesses for you? And that's what we saw, right? When they healed that guy outside the temple, that's what they say explicitly. It's in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I command you, stand up and walk. Their confession before the religious leaders, it was in Jesus' name who you crucified that he was raised. And then that witness of that miracle is the thing that gets them out of jail because everybody's praising God and they're like, well, we can't deny that this guy's been healed. So what, are we going to punish them for healing a guy? They let them go. So they're saying, God, would you just keep keep clearing the path for us like that as you do these amazing things? They're asking that he would continue to do these signs that authenticate their witness wherever they give it and that would silence those who would seek to oppose them. And I don't know why or when it is we ever stopped asking for this stuff. But please, man, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you, you are striving to be a witness for Him, would you pray this same prayer? Could we pray these things and say, God, w- would you do these amazing, miraculous God things, whatever it is, so that as we try to be witnesses for you, it demonstrates to people the reality of who you are, the reality of your superior power, And of your transforming power in us. All of this. Everything flows now. All these things they're asking. They flow out of these foundations. The foundation of the apostles prayer. And I pray that that same foundation. Would enable and empower you today. To ask those big things of your big God. And expect him to to consider. And then act in these amazing ways. He's going to do it according to His perfect will. It's not always going to look like what we imagine He'll do. But He will act according to His perfect will. Would you pray that He would enable you to do these counterintuitive things, to, to run into situations where other people would turn back or shy away? Would He enable you to have this boldness? Because you're so convinced that He's going to empower, He's going to give you boldness in your witness when you pray to Him. When you come to Him in this way and say, God, I'm willing to be used for you. Would you clear the path for me? Would you empower my witness? He will do it. And listen, the the pattern of prayer that we're seeing here, which, which I absolutely believe we should copy, we should copy regularly, is that the apostles are doing two things. They are reflecting on these foundational truths about the bigness, the greatness of God and His creation, And in his word. And then they're praying those things back to God. You see that? They're saying, God, this is who you've revealed yourself to be in your word and in your creation. Now I'm trusting you to be that same big God in relation to this thing that I'm facing now in front of me. It's absolutely a pattern of prayer that we should be copying. And look as they do that. Look what happens. Verse 31. The whole place where they are meeting and praying is shaken. What would that, that been like? All of a sudden, we're praying in here one day and this whole church begins to shake. Do you know what that is? What I believe is that as God shows up in this prayerful context, in the very same way that when something smaller and weaker begins to tremble and shake, when something of greater weight and power comes to rest upon it, in the same way, so does the church begin to shake and tremble when the superior. The power and weight and glory of God comes to rest upon His church. The whole place, it can't contain it. It can't hold it, and it shakes under the weight of it. And in doing so, their boldness in their witness is. It's built up and grown, even though, listen, at this point, nothing has changed. The, the commands of the religious leaders, they're not gone. They're still facing all this same danger. And yet now, look at verse 33. They're just just filled up with this forward-looking boldness and hopefulness that their big God, He can handle. He can handle whatever it is that they're going to face now. Because they're now reminded again of His sovereign control over the circumstances of life, even the things that seem negative. When they can reflect on the fact, when we watched our friend and our master crucified, that was actually part of your plan, God. When they reflect on that, they can say, okay, well, Maybe these hard things I'm going through right now, maybe, that, maybe you're still in control here too. And it gives them boldness to keep moving forward. And that's what I want to do now together as a church family. I want us to practice this together. Mostly because I, I, I just, I've been going to church long enough. I know we'll talk about this. And then we'll be like, that's a great idea. And then we'll head to White Spot and we'll forget. We'll just forget about it. So I want us to just practice it together right now as a church family. I want us to come together just as the apostles did. I want us to reflect on who God is and who He's revealed Himself to be in His Word. And then I I want us to ask together for God to empower our witness to the people that He's called us to be witnesses to. I want you to just take a moment right now in the quietness of your own heart. Think about your own life. Who is that person? Who's that person in your context right now that you feel so afraid to share with, you feel so intimidated, or that circumstance, whatever it is that feels like, I, I don't want to be a witness here, it's going to make me look dumb, it's going to make me look foolish, what's that thing for you? For some of you, that's going to be a person who you want to share the hope of the gospel with, you've never been able to tell them yet about the hope you have in you. For some of you, that's going to be witnessing to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you can also be a witness to other Christians. Think about the witness that Peter and John would have been as they came back from on trial and saying, God gave us this amazing boldness, how that would have encouraged the other apostles who were probably feeling afraid too. So we're going to come together right now and pray and ask God to give us boldness in our witness through His Spirit to empower us in whatever way He wants to do it, to be His Witnesses trusting and believing and hoping that this church, as well as this city and world, might be shaken once again under the weight of God's glorious presence coming among us. So we're going to put a psalm up on the screen that speaks of God's power and creation. I want us to read this together as a church. And then... However you want to pray, if you want to pray out loud for that thing you just thought about, if you want to pray in the quietness of your own heart, we're going to pray for boldness in our witness based on who God has revealed himself to be, trusting that when we compare the bigness of our God to these things that we're facing, I hope they seem so much smaller to you now and give you boldness in your witness. Let's read this together. Lord. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. view of that big God let's go to prayer and in a few moments I'll close and we will uh, eat together the Lord's Supper